feel like all our communication is through these um, kind of Brady Bunch screens these days, even the new. <laughs> I would agree. We've brought everybody into everybody's homes. Good and bad. You guys look good. We haven't aged a week since those photos were taken. <laughs> COVID free. Actually, I was not. Really? Yeah, I, I had the flu and uh, pneumonia. Oh. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome. We are just all gathering up here and just give us a few minutes and we'll get going.
Okay, we're going to get started here. Um, I would like to welcome everyone uh, to our second uh, DLN Expert Access webinar. Um, today's topic, we are looking at job site health, safety and logistics for designers and architects. Um, our host for today is uh, Tim Slattery from Hart and Howerton out in San Francisco. And then um, we also have Greg Marquez from Bullion Andrews in Chicago, Rick Juno from Bullion Andrews in Chicago, and then Jim Hanley from Taconic Builders in New York. So I will hand it off to Tim. Take the lead. Thanks, Megan. Uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning for me, I guess, lunchtime for a lot of you guys. Um, thanks for joining. This is a really interesting topic, I think, for all of us. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the, um, the, the guys on the screen are delivering the vision for a lot of our, uh, our design uh, efforts. And I think, at the, you know, part of it is all about the people that are actually doing the work. And I think we would all, um, given the state of the world these days, uh, you know, feel better about collaboration and communication. And everybody's concerned about health, safety, and welfare for everyone. So uh, today's topic is really about, um, you know, what specific things are happening on the job site. Um, but also um, the way I was thinking about just framing this conversation is, is just thinking about big picture. So maybe starting industry wide, you know, any, any high level things we think may, may um, start to affect uh, the industry and then we can get down to some detail, certain very specific pragmatic uh, issues, um, and then maybe kind of round it out at the end with some um, technology and some future thinking of where where uh, the industry may head uh, with certain new um, technology. So um, I think just to just to get everybody acclimated with the everybody on the screen. Um, Jim, why don't you start off with just an introduction about uh, Taconic and what you guys do, and then we'll, we'll head over to Greg and Rick. Okay, thank you, Tim. Um, and thank you, everybody, for joining this webinar. I hope the, um, the topics we discuss are helpful to you as business uh, unfolds in the New York area and the, the uh, business continues in other parts of the country. Um, I'm talking to you today from uh, Westchester County, which I'm about 45 minutes north of Manhattan. Um, Taconic Builders uh, is about a 35-year-old company. We exclusively uh, build high-end residential projects. And uh, over 35 years, we've established uh, offices, boutique offices in other parts of the country, in, in the Hamptons, in Palm Beach, in Miami, and uh, up here in Westchester, and in California. Um, the story of our shutdown is kind of unusual because uh, in New York City, back in the middle of March, uh, a number of uh, building management companies began to shut down uh, co-ops and condos where we were doing some uh, very high-end build-outs of large luxury apartments. And then on March 20th, uh, Governor Cuomo issued an executive order uh, shutting down many businesses in New York State, but listing construction as a uh, necessary industry. And then a week later, he reversed course, and on the 27th of March, issued another executive order listing 
construction as a non-essential industry. So we went through sort of a gradual shutdown very early in March, uh, uh, have our, our office personnel work from home. Mid-March, condos and co-ops were shut down. Later in March, everything in New York was shut down. But uh, fortunately, uh, because we have a couple of projects going in Connecticut, uh, one in Palm Beach, one in Miami, four in Los Angeles, those projects were able to stay, uh, to, to continue, but they all had to adhere to, um, you know, protocols, safety protocols that seem to be changing and developing uh, almost day by day. Uh, we're working through some very uncertain times here, and we may discuss topics and render opinions today that may be different tomorrow uh, based on local and, and federal, federal regulations and protocols. So um, hopefully the information we share is going to be helpful to you as our industry reopens. Um, and I think it's probably a much different story for Bully and Andrews. They've got a, a larger uh, national footprint uh, and they work in, in different areas. And I guess at this point I could hand it over to uh, Rick and Greg to talk about your firm and how the, the shutdown, uh, you know, a little history and, and how it's impacted uh, your firm. Yeah, th thanks, Jim. Um, <clears throat> So my name is Greg Marquez. I'm the Safety and Risk Management Director for Bully and Andrews. Um, Bully's company has been around since 1891, um, based out of Chicago. Uh, we do have uh, an expanding footprint that I'll get into in a little bit, <clears throat> but we are based in Chicago and a majority of our work is in and around the Chicagoland area. So um, in, my, in my position, I'm uh, uh, tasked with managing, implementing our corporate safety program across uh, all divisions within the company. And uh, in addition to that, <clears throat> taking on the role as a risk manager as well. So um, I manage our, our risk management program and our insurance program. So um, you know, nice little snapshot of a few different uh, areas within the company. Um, so, you know, being based in Chicago, <clears throat> a little bit different than New York, of course, in that in Illinois, um, I, I consider myself uh, both lucky and unlucky, I guess, given the, the current situation, because in Illinois, construction was deemed um, essential by the governor uh, when the shelter-in-place order uh, first went into effect back uh, towards the end of March. <clears throat> Plus, uh, positives of that have been that we, we've, in order to keep our job sites open, we had to innovate. We had to do it quickly, and if we wanted to keep on functioning uh, during the pandemic, we had to quickly find a way to keep our job sites safe from the COVID-19. Um, you know, on the downside of that, obviously, is we didn't have a lot of time to plan this out. I think with all of us, this really got thrown at us pretty quickly. So um, it's been a challenge, um, but it's been one that I know i been a completely unique experience for me and for us as a company. So I'm looking forward to sharing some of those, uh, those things with everybody here in a bit. But I want to backtrack just very briefly to give everyone a little bit of background on our company, in case you don't already know. <clears throat> we have uh, seven uh, very diversified business units. The one, of course, that probably everyone on this call is uh, you know, pretty familiar with is our residential restoration group, which uh, uh, has been quite successful over the years. Um, but in addition to that, we have six others, including uh, hospitality and financial, private clubs and corporates, uh, healthcare, institutional, educational, and then a couple of self-performed groups that do quite a bit of work uh, in masonry and concrete restoration. So 
um, one of the nice things about being so diversified, of course, is that, you know, we can ride out uh, some of the rough, you know, changing market conditions like everyone's experiencing right now, of course. Um, it also means that we have to try to uh, standardize our, our safety controls and processes and, you know, make sure that they're implemented accordingly across the entire company. Doing this with the current pandemic has certainly been uh, one of the challenges we've had to face. So um, markets we serve, I mentioned, of course, that, you know, we start off in Chicago, have been uh, um, very successful in the Chicago market for uh, many, many years, like I said, going back to 1891. <clears throat> Over the years, we branched off and uh, started to increase our footprint quite a bit. Um, we've done some work out on the West Coast, uh, in Nashville, out on the East Coast, uh, even including Puerto Rico and the Caribbean um, here and there. So, um, and that's really increased exponentially in the last, uh, I'd say three to five years, especially. So, um, company's growing. Um, just to summarize uh, for everybody, some of the protective measures that we've had to put in place uh, just in the last really six weeks since uh, the pandemic really took off. <clears throat> um, uh, number one, I think, is probably COVID screening now has become a, a standard process uh, for all of our projects. Um, we now have a daily questionnaire that any subcontractors or any visitors even to the job site, could be an architect, could be an engineer, uh, could be an uh, owner's rep that comes out, uh, has to uh, answer uh, standard five questions uh, related to potential COVID exposure. And then last but not least, do a temperature check to ensure that they're not actively uh, displaying a fever uh, when they show up to the job sites. Um, believe it or not, um, you know, with the current climate, you would think that anybody that even had as much of a, as a itchy throat probably wouldn't show up to the job. It still happens from time to time. Um, you know, we're all, a lot of us are programmed to do what we do, which is work. And, um, you know, if you're used to getting up in the morning, going to work, you're probably still predisposed to doing that. So um, I can, I could share several uh, success stories where this has worked, but I won't in this, uh, in this form right now, but it's even in the short time period, this has been, I, I think, pretty successful for us. Um, all, all of our projects are now uh, practicing what I would call as an enhanced hygiene. Um, a couple months ago, you'd all probably be used to going to a job site and seeing a couple of portable toilets on the outside of the job, and that would be sufficient, and you'd probably have them cleaned out once or twice a week. Um, that's not enough right now. Um, we've got to make sure that, you know, anybody that comes to the site uh, is uh, reminded and given the capability to frequently sanitize and wash their hands. Um, so we want to make sure that we have adequate uh, um, bathroom facilities, especially when working inside of an occupied building. Um, we want workers to be able to not only use the restroom facilities inside of the building, but to be able to, of course, wash their hands and make sure all those common surfaces are clean frequently. So we make a concerted effort to go through and clean any frequent touch surfaces as much as possible. And even more so when possible, just eliminate those surfaces altogether. That could mean doing things like propping doors open, uh, removing any uh, common tables. You know, we don't, we want to reduce that as much as possible. So uh, we're doing a lot, a lot more of that now. And I think another a term that <clears throat> I think everyone's probably heard a lot of on TV in the last several weeks is these, this concept of social distancing. Um, you know, we want to maintain that six foot distance um, and not only socially, but in the workplace as well. And uh, the great thing about construction is that it really does lend itself more so to that social distancing than a lot of other uh, professions. 
right? If we work in our office spaces, that is going to be a very foreign concept to a lot of people. Uh, having a meeting with someone and making sure that you're at least six feet apart when you're having that meeting. Um, in construction, this is easier to achieve, achieve typically, but um, I'm sure we've all seen the jobs that are, are kind of tight spaces and on a tight schedule that can lead to more manpower inside the site. It can make social distancing difficult. Um, so we wanna make sure right now more than ever that we're really uh, planning out these tasks and activities uh, well in advance so that we can properly understand uh, what activities, if any, um, may not allow for six foot social distancing. And if that's the case, uh, have discussions about staggering starts, um, sequencing things differently and moving trades around <clears throat> so that we can still maintain that six foot distancing. Um, every now and then it's simply not going to be possible. Um, when you're doing concrete operations, um, when you're doing certain carpentry operations, putting drywall up, doing metal studs, um, there's simply operations where you need to have a partner in order to do a certain task safely. Uh, what we've implemented now is at that point, there's mandatory personal protective equipment. I think, you know, uh, most of us are used to walking onto a job site and seeing hard hats and safety glasses and reflective vests. Um, you know, that took years to become a standard. You know, we don't have years to adopt this stuff now. Uh, this happened so quickly. If we wanted to keep our workers safe and keep everyone on site healthy, um, these tasks where social distancing was not gonna be uh, possible, we had to implement uh, mandatory face coverings. Uh, and I know here in Illinois, uh, they're now mandatory uh, when you go into any public place where social distancing is not uh, feasible. We had to adopt that you know, weeks ago in order to safely keep our job sites open. <clears throat> Um, we also encourage use of gloves. We've also had to teach people how to properly use those gloves. Um, I, I think a lot of people hear that if you go to the grocery store right now, you see lots of people walking around with gloves on. Um, unfortunately, those people take those gloves, touch what they are worried is a contaminated surface, and then will immediately grab their phone and start scrolling on their phones and responding to text messages with those gloves on. Doesn't do a lot of good. So we've had to properly teach workers uh, about this, you know, six foot dis social distance and cross contamination, uh, making sure they're using their PPE properly. Um, last thing I'll mention is really uh, set up a break in lunch spaces for workers. <clears throat> um, in residential, especially, I think we're probably all used to coming into a job site and seeing a group of workers congregating around a couple of gang boxes or, um, you know, maybe with some lawn chairs set up, usually in close proximity. Um, you know, talking about what they did last night, enjoying their meals. Um, you can still do that, but we have to maintain six foot social distance. So um, we've taken to setting up multiple break areas on certain projects, sometimes setting these break areas up outside um, where there's more ventilation and it's easier to maintain social distance. Um, so it's something where I, with my team, uh, my safety team, I, I actually encourage them now to show up on a job site um, at break time or lunch. Whereas six months ago, if I'd seen pictures of people taking break, I would have said, why were you there doing that? Um, now I encourage them to see that because I wanna make sure that they're doing, they're practicing social distancing. And I would say during the breaks and lunch is, is when it's been a little bit tougher actually, because um, old habits die hard. Um, I would just tell everyone in summary, uh, these things I talked about are still so new. Uh, the construction world um, has always, one of the knocks against the general industry is has always been that it's so slow to adapt to change, right? We're slow, slow to adapt to technology. Um, this is something that literally took off six, seven weeks ago in most parts of the country, certainly here in Chicago. And uh, I, I 
I'll tell you, I'm frequently amazed at how quickly the tradespeople and the industry in general has taken, at least here in Chicago, to a lot of these new practices that they're being asked to follow. Um, at a different time here in Chicago, which is a very heavy union market, um, there would have been a lot of pushback from the unions and from the tradespeople uh, to adopt uh, some of these new practices like COVID screening and submitting to that every day and having someone else take their temperature. Um, I can tell you our experience has been the tradespeople here uh, appreciate it. I think they, they, they appreciate the effort. They, they want to stay safe. They don't want to take this stuff home to their families. And um, they've been, I've been pleasantly surprised at how, how quickly everyone has adopted uh, some of these practices. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Greg. I, um, I think just uh, drilling in a little bit to following up on the, this kind of the, the people aspect of it. Um, maybe Jim weigh in here, but you know, for, for a lot of the people on the, on the line, they may be suppliers or vendors or manufacturers. Curious, um, in, in your opinion, how that delivery sequence is happening? Are anything changing relative to that um, stream of, of material flow and how it arrives at the site um, currently? Well, what we find is um, in all of our markets, uh, local deliveries of standard building materials, you know, metal studs, two by framing material, sheetrock, insulation, subfloor, plywood. Um, there, there doesn't seem to be any issue uh, receiving prompt delivery of standard building materials. And we've been fortunate uh, for some of our more uh, creative vendors who have been based in, in Europe, Canada, South America, uh, deliveries have actually arrived on time from those vendors, but many of those orders were placed, you know, late in, you know, four or five months ago in the last quarter of 2019 or very early 2020. So uh, custom plumbing fixtures, plaster moldings, metalwork, millwork uh, has arrived on time. Uh, we are getting notices from these same vendors that going forward, their deliveries are going to be unpredictable due to unemployment at their shops, um, slow material deliveries from their providers uh, are, are making it extremely difficult for them to predict when they are going to, uh, their timeline for their uh, fabrication of their product and the timeline for delivery uh, to the U.S. So that is one of those very uncertain issues that, you know, my my crystal ball can't predict uh, what's going to happen there. Just know that anything that's ordered in the past six months has been arriving on time. Yeah, I think that that kind of leads to the next question about, you know, unemployment and downsizing, um, maybe self-enforced. So, for instance, in Italy, you know, if if you're um, ordering products from Europe, perhaps, um, you know, it may get slowed down, but maybe not. Um, so I think that there's a whole um, aspect to where are you getting these materials from and, and can you rely on that delivery sequence? Because it seems like if you can't, it may throw off your scheduling. You mm -hmm. may in a standstill because you're waiting for certain things. Um, so that was another question I was gonna ask relative to um, scheduling is, you know, how do you predict in this kind of new normal if there's so many uncertain factors? Well, I think, you know, as we estimate new projects, and, and fortunately, new projects have come in uh, over the past 
six or eight weeks, you know, we've got to anticipate that there are going to be some delays due to smaller staff on job sites. Um, and how we convey that information to our clients, I think, is very important uh, as an unknown. The, um, we're also fearful with regard to deliverables, you know, that the federal government has provided uh, funding for our industry for smaller companies under 500 employees. Uh, I think some companies jumped on that very promptly and, and received uh, PPP, uh, payroll protection plan funding. There were other grants that were available. And uh, you know, some companies had very positive cash flow, so they're able to survive uh, with either the cash flow or, or, or a combination of this funding. I think some of the smaller vendors who are maybe not so uh, business savvy are gonna be hurt financially. Uh, due to unemployment, due to, you know, supply chain slowdown. And uh, I'm very nervous for some of these small uh, vendors. Will they be able to stay in business uh, as, you know, as we come out of this COVID environment? Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's interesting because if, if you think about the um, different markets this touches, whether it's, um, you know, we, we work here in, in San Francisco and, um, you know, we have about a 65 person office and we have one in New York as well, but we're already starting to think about what do we need to change in the office environment, uh, either how it's organized or other things like Greg mentioned about, you know, kind of literally hand sanitizer every three feet. But, um, but, it's, uh, but, but if you think about offices, hospitality, even homes, um, a lot of our clients have said, well, I want, I want that in my house in terms of mechanical and ventilation and all that. So um, what are your guys thoughts either? Maybe I'll let Greg or Rick jump in here about have you, do you guys have, I, I know this is all crystal ball kind of technology here and we're, we're, we're just thinking about what, what the future holds, but any thoughts relative to some of the, some of the things like mechanical that would get affected and how that would impact you guys safety wise. Uh, Greg, yeah, Rick, there you go. Yeah, um, you know, because we are diversified and, and work in hospitals and also um, the ultra high-end residential work, a lot of our mechanical systems are at the top of sort of the ATRAE standards um, as far as filtration, um, fresh air, UV bacterial treatment, things like that. Um, I think it will enhance, there will be some sort of guidelines or specifications um, to enhance those systems. I don't think any of us have a crystal ball as to what that might be. Um, it's really, for viruses like this, the decontamination of the surfaces, um, uh, like Greg said, and the uh, mindfulness that's really going to keep things down versus uh, maybe um, some of the systems. Okay. Also, uh, if I could, you know, I've spoken with a couple of our HVAC contractors and um, it's not uncommon to, to have our clients request uh, HEPA filters in their systems, you know, high efficiency particle filters. Uh, I suspect going forward, uh, more clients or more designers, more engineers will um, provide information to our clients about uh, UV filters is that the HEPA filters really only handle particulates, dust, you know, uh, pet dander and things like that, where the, the UV filters 
actually um, will kill microorganisms as, as air passes through those filters. So I, I suspect we're going to see a little bit more of that in our, in our high-end residential projects. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, already the uh, hospitality industry is, is set, st setting standards. But, you know, for instance, the Four Seasons, who's a client of ours, has been, um, you know, going through their, their guidelines and standards and starting to update them. And I think that the health and wellness kind of trend was was definitely growing in kind of line with that sustainability principles, but I think it may overtake um, some of the priorities in terms of how people think about where they want to spend their money. Um, and, and before it was a kind of a nice to have, and I think it may start to be a have to have. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so uh, just a question, just you guys work in many different regions um, and different, different states are, are doing different things. Um, how, how have you guys seen it at a kind of a regional state by state level impacting the different uh, projects you have relative to their, their um, requirements for quarantine, no quarantine, or like you said, essential uh, services or, or not? Um, Tim, I, I, I could at least comment, um, you know, we have a, a pretty, we have a pretty substantial uh, uh, hotel project occurring right now in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were a little, little slower than Illinois. And I, I think not as strict as Illinois in their, in their shelter in place. Uh, and that, that market is also extremely busy with construction. Uh, there are quite a few uh, projects taking place there, actually I think busier than Chicago, which is uh, hard to believe, but um, you know, we, we tried to be proactive there <clears throat> and it, it, we had a, every, we got about a hundred, hundred uh, uh, people working on site. When this all broke, we, we tried to be as proactive as possible and thought, you know, what would happen if we did have a positive test on this project? There really wasn't much in the way of guidelines or requirements from the state of Tennessee, as far as what you're expected to do is pretty much defaulting to the CDC. Um, so we, we made sure that we had a plan in place um, to sanitize and clean uh, the project, and probably more importantly, to identify um, any compromised spaces, because we're talking about a seven-story hotel space. Um, it's pretty substantial if you were to simply say, uh, a worker tested positive, everyone evacuate, and we got to clean the building. We don't necessarily want to do that. We want to try to accurately identify where the worker might have been and any common surfaces they might have touched. Um, we did that and lo and behold, uh, several weeks ago, we had that scenario play out with a subcontractor on site. Luckily, I, I think the pre-planning we did uh, kept that uh, downtime to really, I think two days was all it took. And uh, we were able to clean and implement uh, screening and start the job back up as opposed to if we had kind of been caught more flat-footed, I think you would have seen at least a couple of more days uh, in, in that downtime uh, planning. So I think that just the, the lesson out of that was really just you can't be proactive enough right now. Uh, certain states and certain areas are obviously um, not as strict as others and probably don't offer you as much guidance. Even within, just to add one little bit to that, even within the same state, even within Illinois, job sites are handled differently by different contractors. And I've received so many calls from our vendors um, just thanking us 
as to how we are treating the workers. Um, one even called and said, my, you know, my guys only want to work on your job sites. They feel safe. They feel protected. They, they, and, and I think it's that mindfulness and pre-planning that Greg is saying, no matter where you are, um, it can be done successfully, you know, if planned in advance and you have the want to. Every yeah. Hey, you know, uh, go ahead. If go I ahead. could jump in, you know, the, um, I'm not going to stray into politics, but <laughs> the politics that are played out in different regions of the country have some impact on the workforce in that region. Um, in, let's say, in Connecticut and California, we've found a lot of the tradespeople and our subcontractors uh, are anxious to work, but some of their workforce is very nervous about coming to work because they don't want to take uh, a COVID virus back to their families. We actually got out in front of this and, and got, uh, we purchased thousands of, of masks and, and gloves, cloth masks and, and other masks, and we're making those available to our subs because we're insisting that they wear them on our job site. You know, some of the subs have come and said, well, we really don't need to wear a mask because it's not a requirement. Well, it is a requirement on our job sites. So, you know, we'll, we'll furnish them or you can buy them in bulk from, from us because we bought them in bulk. And, and I find the, 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 the subs and the workmen in Florida are probably the most lax about it. Um, they seem to, you know, be a little less cautious about uh, COVID protocol on job sites, but we have to enforce the same protocol across all of our, uh, all of our jobs and um, ensure that our staff is, staff is safe and our, you know, our clients' properties are safe. So it's, it's a mixed bag, but I think we're dealing with it fairly well. Well, it's a great point because at the end of the day, it all comes down to the people. And, and obviously no one wants to take stuff back to their families. And so if, if you feel like your job site is organized and healthy and everybody's thinking through these protocols, you're going to feel more comfortable working, working there. And in, you know, we're doing projects in Florida as well. And I'd agree with you that there's a little bit of, um, you know, maybe a little less of, rigor or whatever but but i think that um that'll that'll change over time mm -hmm. as everybody else is kind of doing it as a normal course of action and you know part of this uh design leadership network what's cool about it is that there's all these um great experts like you guys thinking through what's what are the what are the trends that we see coming forward and maybe rick i'll kind of tap you here but you know we were talking earlier about um you know technology maybe and just what, you know, this, I think this virus caught everybody a little off guard um, and, and, and being kind of unprepared for it. And now what, what can we learn from this? But what, how can technology help us, um, you know, a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, what are we going to learn from this? Any, any thoughts on that? Well, we, our technology department, we, um, we promoted a, a, a new IT director and she's, just done wondrous um, things with our technology the last two and a half to three years. We, we feel like we've leaped into a new stratosphere. And so we were well on our way to um, advancing the technology uh, for our firm, which we felt like we were behind on in general. So, so this pandemic actually fell at a point where we had an incredible amount of tools in place. And, you know, one of them is uh, Matterport, um, which is, and based and and we we have several 
very expensive 3D cameras, but you can buy them for as little as $400. And one of our jobs, a client is concerned of going on the job site, but some of it needs their input. Um, same with a couple of the designers. Um, some out-of-town architects did not, which we work a lot with, did not want to get on a plane to come see something. And literally this technology can do a 3D virtual walkthrough. Um, it's actual real data points. It looks exactly like you're there. Um, you don't want to approve uh, a paint uh, chip sample or a, um, a paint color off of it, but it will give you the mock-up um, proportions as well as the finishes, the grain, et cetera. Um, and it's really advanced that portion of I guess a no visit um, approval to keep the, the construction going. So I know that's one item that's really helped in this pandemic. And I think it's only gonna get um, better down the road as well. Yeah. I also, Tim, I also think the, um, you know, the software that's been around for a long time, things like, uh, you know, FaceTime, ShareFile, Dropbox, WeTransfer, Google Docs, um, as we work with different uh, design firms, uh, they, they work with, with you know, different, um, different platforms. Like we've, we've had to be nimble to be able to work across many of these platforms. I think they're being used much more effectively now that some offices are shut down and job sites are shut, shut down. Uh, going forward, I think this might actually be a good thing for our industry, uh, you know, less time less time for the design team to review documents with the construction team. I, I think meetings like we're having right now and electronic review of documents is gonna become much more popular uh, than it has been, even though it's, it's made great progress in the last five to 10 years, but I think this episode is gonna launch it even further. Yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing. You, you kind of think of the job trailer of the future and it's probably got like, you know, 10 screens in it and, and all right. sorts of uh, really <laughs> clearly a lot of gloves and masks. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if, if you're doing a project these days and trying to hit any sort of lead sustainability um, requirements, there's a lot of post uh, kind of construction protocols relative to testing and mechanical and other things. And I wonder if there may be some new um, requirements from a health standpoint so what I, I guess I'm, I'm getting at is how do you, uh, a question came up here that I'm, I'm kind of um, teeing up is uh, how do we see, how do you guys see post-construction testing and maybe even, you know, annual testing? So it's like the sense of a, the health, how's the health of a building? Like you go and get your car checked up, you know, checked out. Are, are people going to say, hey, you know, let's do our annual checkup on our building um, but also when you're, when you're closing out and getting substantial completion, uh, will that be a, a requirement? Um, um, I, I, I don't know, Tim. Um, we do have clients right now that do have us air sample um, uh, from time to time on a yearly basis, um, water test, et cetera. Um, I don't know that it's going to become a protocol on, on all projects. I, I do think more people will demand it. Um, I know Jim has a um, maintenance group as well that takes care of his clients after the fact. And uh, we, we have one where we go in and take care of our clients' um, space to make sure it's functioning uh, the most optimum it can. 
I think the concern with the high-end residential is if you have um, some sort of cleaning agent or something like that that works maybe in a hospitality space or financial space or, or private club, um, it, it could ruin uh, some of the finishes. I, I, I don't know if there's a product that is safe 100% for, you know, artery wall covering or, you know, the very nicest fabric or things like that. I think it's going to be a sort of learn um, as we go as to what we can offer our clients. Actually, I was, I was wondering, uh, Greg, I know you, your, um, your company works in medical facilities. Do you think any of the um, typical inspections that occur in medical facilities may drift into the, the residential market? Uh, what, uh, what type of uh, inspections were you, were you thinking well, about? I mean, after, you know, medical facilities are, are, when you close out a medical facility or, you know, periodically they have to be inspected for air quality and things like that. I'm sure they set a much higher standard than a residential project. I'm just wondering, if, if, would you anticipate any of those medical standards being sort of pushed onto the residential market? I, I don't I, I don't say my crystal ball isn't that good, I would say, but I, I would de I could definitely see that being a, uh, you know, a request from a client. Uh, I think you guys were touching on that earlier about, you know, where's the HVAC equipment going to go with this? Um, you know, what are the new standards going to be out there? I could certainly see, you know, that being a potentially client driven thing. Um, I don't know that, you know, they're going to go so that the, I guess, regulatory agencies are going to go as far as saying, you know, here, like here in Illinois, you'd have to go through Illinois Department of Public Health and they have to do a full inspection in a space like in a healthcare facility. I don't know that it would get to that level, but if, if I'm a client right now, and I can certainly pay for it. Um, maybe I do want that level of inspection uh, for air quality and air movement um, inside of my house, um, you know, before I move in. You know, it's interesting, like, uh, you know, I think everything's based on, everybody operates their life from their phone these days. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, lighting systems and other uh, protocols that you can answer your doorbell from your phone or open your garage door or whatever. Um, you know, I could see maybe the, um, you know, checking your air filtration from your phone in your home, um, maybe a, a future technology um, component. Hey, Rick, just a quick question. There's a, could you, could you expand a little bit on Matterport? Um, a couple of questions came up on that and um, I'm unfamiliar with it. I was just kind of curious if you could give a little more insight on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> I put myself on mute because I was trying to type the answers to those questions. Um, uh, I, I don't know an incredible amount about it. We just started implementing it on the residential side. Um, basically what it is, is I think it's, it's subscription-based. It's, it's cloud-based. You can choose. It depends on how many projects you have, users, et cetera. Um, but it's a software and you can go online. Um, that takes input from a 3D camera. So you literally go to your job site and scan your, your, um, your project. And we do it for three reasons. You know, we post all of our 3D photos and videos on construction site. Um, so anybody, if we have an architect from the UK or a client from wherever, they can literally walk through their space and see exactly what's there. Um, we have a job um, with an out-of-country architect where they can, we can physically walk through the space with them and they can, they can move their mouths up, down, left, right, and look at it real time from our last 
uploading and it, and it really saves time. That's Struction site. Matterport is more, it takes the 3D images and it processes it to almost like a virtual reality environment where you're walking through. On the commercial side, we're using it for closeout packages. So um, a building engineer will be walking through a building and they can click on an automatic door operator and the entire specs will pop up right in front of him. Countertops, fabric, furniture, it can be used for all of that. Um, on the residential side, we are mostly using it right now. We will use it for closeout, but right now, just where the product is, we're using it for VR walkthroughs with the designers and clients, um, both local and out of state. It, it seems to help um, a multitude of fronts. Hey, Rick, you, uh, you raise an interesting point here because both our firms, even though we're, we work in different markets, I think we probably have years of experience working with the design team members who are further afield. I mean, we have this project in New York right now where design architect in South Africa, um, executive architect in New York, interior designer in Los Angeles, owner's rep is in London. And, you know, the, the weekly and monthly communication for that team um, was, that's been going on for over a year now and it's sort of heightened or become a little more accelerated with, uh, with COVID on all of our other projects. But um, I think both our firms have that experience of working with uh, design teams from further afield. Um, do you guys see any sort of, uh, you know, given all the travel restrictions now um, and probably a, a lack of excitement and interest to hop on a plane these days, um, how, how do you guys see, are there new roles that may start to develop as kind of local liaisons of um, rather than travel to all these different places you mentioned, uh, Jim, are there going to be people that work in those local markets that I guess it's like an owner's rep, but um, maybe, maybe some other uh, protocol. So you, people are less inclined to travel unnecessarily. You know, the, uh, the travel, uh, webinar that uh, the Design Leadership Network held yesterday was pretty interesting, but it really focused on sort of a high-end market, high-end travel, and, and um, luxury accommodations. Uh, I received uh, an email blast from American Airlines just about an hour before this call, where they listed all of their new protocols, you know, cleaning airplanes, handing out cleaning supplies to passengers as they board their airplanes, uh, screening uh, at the security, you know, or, or at the gate, uh, screening probably similar to what we're talking about for, you know, uh, COVID screening. But I, I think, I think there will be some limit to travel for a while. I don't know how long that's going to, I don't know how long that hook is going to be set. Is it yeah. like three or four months before people become a little more comfortable with travel? I, I don't know. But airlines, you're saying airlines are getting out in front of it, just like you guys are talking about. So. Yeah, actually, yesterday, um, uh, what was the woman's name who led the webinar? She said that actually airline executives she's talking to were talking about like removing little seats and creating yeah. more space on, on aircraft um, and certainly carrying fewer passengers. Everybody hates the middle seat anyway. So right. Um, Hey, Greg, just circling back to you, kind of just drilling into any more, um, I know you mentioned a lot of other specific 
items you guys are doing. But um, is there any other uh, notes you'd like to point out about um, more detailed protection or or other points that you'd like to to make relative to that? Well, uh, one other thing I, I wanted to mention, I know you, you guys had, had touched on uh, a couple of different aspects of technology. And I know in, in our world, uh, wearable technology has been something that uh, has been a real buzzword the last few years. <clears throat> and uh, I think this is only going to drive that even further. And um, I'm, I, even if, like I said, this is so new, I'm already getting um, you know, emails and requests for time from these wearable technology providers um, indicating that that technology can help maintain your social distancing and that you know, we talked about how important it would be if you have someone test positive to be able to go back and trace and see who that person interacted with on your job site very quickly and be able to identify if there were any close contact people. And that's gonna be the driver of being able to identify what the risk level is to the various workers on site so that you don't have to just pull the plug on the entire job for days or weeks potentially. So, you know, that wearable technology is already set up where um, if you spend say too much time in close contact with somebody else, it'll buzz you and say, hey, you're social distancing too close, high risk, it reminds you to get away and kind of maintain your distance. So, um, you know, I'm really uh, anxious to see where that goes because uh, to me, that's gonna be key uh, to continuing on moving forward and be able to keep our projects operational and safe is really to help identify who those close contact people are. You know, right now you have to go back on paper essentially and really ask your project team to try to track your subcontractors on site and identify what areas they were working in and be able to make a uh, determination off of that. If you can do it with wearable technology and simply pull up a graph, um, I mean, that cuts a lot of time and hopefully puts a lot of other workers on site at ease if you can point to that. Yeah, I think that's a, a really interesting um, point. I mean, you can kind of use that to help figure out whether you're six feet apart or not with other people. Um, you know, we've, we're, we got about 10 minutes left and um, Rick or Jim, I just want to kind of give you guys an opportunity to, you know, wrap up with any other specific points you, you, uh, you'd like to make. Um, just kind of curious. Sure. I, I, you know, one of the things we, uh, we didn't touch on is, you know, something that may impact uh, architects and designers who are listening in, we found that uh, building departments are uh, are much slower than they had been. Um, it's hard to believe, by the way. Right. <laughs> Architectural reviews, um, and, and it's different in every region. Uh, Architectural reviews in, in many municipalities are not happening, uh, which holds up the permitting process. Uh, the staff of building departments tends to be a little older um, so there, many of them are staying uh, away from work. Uh, inspections, job site inspections are a little more difficult than they used to be. And, you know, even things like homeowners associations and co-op board meetings, uh, you know, all the things that are part of the permitting process seem to be happening much more slowly these days. And I think that's going to impact the startup of jobs as we come out of the, um, as we come out of this COVID situation. Um, I also just sort of on a positive note, Tim, I think I sent this to you yesterday. There is a, a fabulous new program on Apple TV called Home, and it features uh, really unique 
sustainable homes that have been designed all around the world. Uh, many of us have some time on our hands right now. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not a shameless show for Apple TV, but it's a really great program. And uh, I think just about anybody in the construction or the design community would find it interesting. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I want to check that out. Um, hey, Rick, just any other kind of just big picture points you'd like to make? I mean, I know you're seeing a lot of stuff out there in, in lots of different states. Um, any, any final thoughts that you may have? Um, you know, one of the things that I think um, can never go away is the collaboration that we all love and experience. Um, make these, uh, especially residential projects, one of a kind. You know, we all, are, we all care about the details and that will never go away. I think, um, the, you know, the communication has to remain um, to, to try to figure out how we keep that collaboration going. Um, you know, I love working with somebody to problem solve. And, you know, it's, it's a little harder if you don't have the, um, the interface, if you're not standing right there together looking at things. Um, I also think it's harder to do when people don't stay on the same page or communicate on a weekly basis. Um, we try, every Friday, we try to send out emails, good, bad, and ugly, as to what's happening so we can continue to operate as a team and solve those problems. Um, so I, I think just big picture general is, um, you know, the us as contractors are going to work very, very hard to, to keep that feel on the job um, of a team, you know, uh, that, that there is the high level of collaboration and we do care about the details. Um, give us time and I'm sure we'll get it, get it right, even if we're not all in the same yeah, you know, a, a question just under the wire came through about um, any any virtual inspections. Um, it, have you guys seen that at all? Um, any any departments taken on on technology as a, a way to review sites? Have you seen that? Well, it's, it's what I've seen is pretty low tech. Just um, some inspectors ask just to send photos or videos of work rather than coming onto the job site. And that, you know, that, that capability has been around for 20 years. Um, but I think because of their fear to uh, expose themselves to a construction crew, they're, they're doing more inspections via photo and video. Yeah, well, I think it all relates back to just kind of a, you know, who's, who's kind of, I guess, in charge or or going to be responsible for for those things and if if no one is physically inspecting it but i got to believe there's going to be some opportunities to use technology to to make sure you've you know the appropriate parties have have reviewed the materials um tim jim jim is you know exactly right the technology exists um there's a municipality here that was just so overloaded with construction inspections they farmed out to a third party yeah. so they weren't physically doing the inspections but a third party came in with the ipad and they had their program of what they had to take pictures of so it it, it does exist but it is not sophisticated and right. um I don't know as contractors if we want to take on that liability unless they give us the program. If they if they give us the program, you know, we'll exceed at what they want. But I don't think we'd want to determine what they want photos of. <laughs> well, having never heard of Zoom up until about six weeks ago, um, you know, I, I I've been amazing, you know, amazingly impressed with 
everybody's ability to just pivot and do what we're doing now. And if, if nothing else, like a global pandemic couldn't make building departments work a little faster, I don't know what will, but I, I mean, it seems like everybody needs to embrace a certain amount of this technology. Um, and, you know, I guess I just like to, to make a point about, <laughs> I think the, this condition around the world has, has brought us all a little bit closer together from a humanity standpoint and everybody's going through the same thing worldwide. And I guess I just would like, you know, any, any other thoughts from your people, like your teams, are they, are they just kind of taking it on being positive about it? I mean, you know, it's, it, again, it, it comes back to people, right? So we're trying to keep them safe, but it seems like people are stepping up from what you guys are saying. They're, they're kind of embracing it. You know, Tim, I think people are, you're right, there's, there's a lot more humanity on display uh, when, when we're out on the street than there had been. Just even, a, uh, you know, here in New York, I, I, in my community north of New York City, just passing people on the street, there are more hellos or, or a nod of acknowledgement. Um, we've also, are, we've been involved in a, supporting a homeless organization for quite some time called the Midnight Run for the Homeless. Um, we had a run on Saturday night, and the, um, it, it was so unusual to be in the middle of Manhattan at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night in Times Square, where there are about six pedestrians and no cars. Um, but, you know, we've, we've been involved in this organization for over 20 years, and the, the outpouring of volunteer support is remarkable. It is, it is unbelievable, actually, because people have, I think, a lot of pent-up emotion that they need to release right now. And um, it's great to be part of that organization, and it's great to serve our homeless friends who, quite frankly, are, are sometimes 10 steps away from the multi-million dollar townhouse that we're building. <laughs> um, so it's... Um, I think there's going to be more outpouring of humanity services as we come out of this COVID pandemic. Thank you. Um, well, it looks like we're, we're almost wrapped on time and Megan did want me to mention um, there is a, uh, another uh, DLN um, webinar tomorrow with the famed Michael Boudreau um, at 1230 Eastern um, and there's uh, all the information's on the on the website. Um, and uh, I don't know, Megan, if you want to chime in, there is um, for those out there that need credits. There is um, AIA and um, ASID credit opportunities. I'm not Megan. I don't know if you want to chime in here, but where that is found is that uh, clear on the DLN website on how to get that information? Sure. So. Um the um, AIA, the way the credits work, AIA, um, we submit on your behalf. So anyone who has participated in the, um, who has participated in these webinars and is listed on the AIA website, they will be, we upload the credits and they're all submitted. The ASID is a little different. We will be providing uh, a letter of sorts saying you participated in X number of webinars this uh, allows you for X number of credits and then you submit um, to ASID on your own. Um, so once we get through our first batch of credits, our first batch of webinars, which is gonna be uh, about 10, um, we'll submit those on everyone's behalf. 
um, after the first round. And then we'll keep going and we'll see how this goes, really. Great. Well, you know, I'll, I'll just close out with, you know, I'm, what I love about DLN is all of you guys on screen and all the people I get to meet. And, uh, you know, while, while the screen is no replacement for meeting everyone in person, um, I think we're going to have a great time when we all are allowed to get together again. And um, mm -hmm. really appreciate uh, your guys' time and your thoughts today. Um, and, and it's an important topic. So thanks. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. I'm going to close it out. Thanks, everyone. All have right. Have a great day. Have a good Bye. day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.